we return now to God's Word. We're looking at the book of the letter of Philemon in your New Testaments. And we're going to read the whole of this, this little but powerful letter. So from verse 1 it says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. To Aphia, our sister. To Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains of the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you will do would be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow worker in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thanks, Ross. Morning, everybody. Summer's arrived, and Ross has got his fact of 50 stashed away for the picnic today. Um, It's a beautiful day, and it's always a good day when we can gather together to gather around God's Word and to worship Him in spirit and truth. And for those of you who haven't been here, we're in a series which is entitled Little Books big ideas, little books, big ideas. And Christians have a habit sometimes of marking things in their Bible. You'll probably see that there. They they, they mark things up. They highlight things. They put little bookmarks in. They scribble in the margins. And that's not defacing a book. That's a really valuable thing to do with God's love letter to us, the Bible, Holy Scripture. It's one of the ways he speaks to us, and we remember it. But we've been looking at little books where maybe the pages are somewhat clean. Maybe there's not as many marks, there's not as many highlights, there's not as many notes in the margins, because some of these little books in the books of the Bible get a little bit overlooked. And we've been looking at the Old Testament, now we're into the New Testament, and today we have this letter that Paul wrote, that uh, Ross has just read for us, Philemon. 
And it's the last letter of Paul in the New Testament. It's the one that comes at the end before Hebrews. And we're not sure who wrote Hebrews. Some people think it was Paul, but many people think it couldn't possibly have been him. This is a very private letter. It's not like the pastoral epistles where Paul writes to Timothy twice, 1 and 2 Timothy, or to Titus, and he tries to encourage them as pastors and ministers to keep doing the work of, uh, of God. It's not those kind of, that kind of epistle that he writes to a church, like the epistle to the Ephesians or the Colossians. It's a very private, personal letter to a friend. It doesn't deal with any major Christian doctrine or teaching at any huge depth, arguably, and it certainly doesn't seem to deal with any particular heresy, any wrong teaching that the Christians are being faced with. No, it's a private and a personal letter. But I want to tell you it contains a really beautiful idea. The big idea, and we'll come to that eventually, is really beautiful. But before we get there, let's look at the background and the context. We know that the author is the great apostle St. Paul, and we're pretty confident that he wrote this from prison. It's one of his prison epistles. Now, I should explain prison. He's not behind bars. He's actually probably chained to a Roman soldier on duty, uh, a sequence of Roman soldiers, on what we might call open house arrest. So people could come and visit him, but he's still very much imprisoned, awaiting trial before Caesar. He's written this, we think, in about AD 60, so 60 years approximately, before the birth of Jesus Christ. And although he is the author, he attributes Timothy, his brother, to helping him with it. That's part of his apostolic team. So Timothy is with him. And when we look at the very first verse, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He knows that a sovereign God is allowing him to be in chains because that's part of his plan and purpose. So he's not a prisoner of Caesar. No, he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he's writing along with Timothy, our brother. And we find out straight away who the recipients are. Because he goes on to say that he's writing to Philemon, our dear friend, there it is, it's personal, and fellow worker, it's someone he's served with, he's ministered with. And he mentions Athea, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And then he says, and to the church that meets in your home. Now this is really interesting, because it seems almost certain that Philemon is an elder of a church that meets in his home, possibly with his wife Athea and their son Archippus. We don't know that for sure. Um, Athea could be married to Archippus and he could be a fellow leader in the church. But Philemon is a wealthy guy who lives almost certainly in Colossae and a church meets in his home. So that's the recipient's. And the subject, just one word, one name, dead simple, the subject is Onesimus. And Onesimus is a runaway slave. And we read that in verses 10 to 12 of this little epistle. Paul says, I appeal to you for my son, so Paul has clearly got close to Onesimus, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. There's a very clever play on words here by Paul, because if you've got the NIV in front of you, either the Pew Bible or your own Bible, you'll see a little footnote next to the name Onesimus, the letter A in verse 10, and if you drop down to the footnote at the bottom of the page, Onesimus means useful. And Onesimus was clearly Philemon's slave, but he ran away. 
So the one who was useful to him is now useless to him because he's not his slave any longer. And it also seems really likely that Onesimus took a little bit of something to help him along the way. He was a thief. He stole something. Just look at verse 18, first of all, and you'll get the plot. In verse 18, Paul says, If he, that's Onesimus, has done you any wrong, Philemon, or owes you anything, charge it to me. Then in verse 19, he says, I, Paul, am writing this in my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Now, this is really intriguing. Because it seems pretty clear that Paul has led Philemon, this wealthy guy in Colossae, into a relationship with Jesus. Paul has helped him through teaching and preaching and discipling him to become a believer in Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus. It also seems that somehow Anesimus, when he's run away, finds himself in Rome, bumps into Paul or is introduced to Paul, taken to his house where he's on open arrest by Christians, and Onesimus himself becomes Paul's son. He means in the Lord. He's become a Christian. So back in Colossae, you've got Philemon, who's a Christian, Philemon. Now in Rome, you've got Onesimus, but the big challenge is that Onesimus has run away. He's a runaway slave. We know that. Verse 10 suggests he's become a Christian too. We don't really know how Paul came to know about the relationship. But one suggestion is this. Epaphras, who is from that area of Colossae and Ephesus in that area of Asia Minor, Epaphras has come to visit Paul and um, he's a fellow prisoner in Christ. He's under arrest as well. He sends greetings. It's quite likely that Epaphras turned up, got locked up as well for being associated with Paul, but maybe he recognized Onesimus and said, I know you are. You're a slave of Philemon. You ran away from him and you stole something from him. Could have been that. Or it could have been that, that Onesimus saw Epaphras, recognized him, and he was prompted to confess to Paul, look, I need to tell you something. I'm not only a slave, I'm a runaway slave, and I'm a thief. I stole something from my master Philemon. That's all way, by way of background. But you want to know what the big idea is. Well, you've had the history lesson, the archaeology lesson, but the big idea is dead simple. It's one word. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. That is the big idea. It's as if there's a huge gap, a huge barrier between Philemon and between Onesimus, and Paul wants to send Onesimus back, and he wants Philemon to reach out to him, not as a master and as a slave owner, but as you'll see as a brother. The big idea is reconciliation. Now let's pause. Let's make this a little bit more personal. Just in your own thoughts, is there anyone that you need to be reconciled with? Is there a family member that you fell out with years ago? Is there a friend who let you down badly? Is there someone who once professed love for you, but they... They just broke your heart. They smashed it into pieces. Now, don't get panicky. You'll start to get sweaty palms and stuff like that when I start talking about this. Why? Because reconciliation can be immensely threatening. The thought of going back to someone who's broken your heart, who's trashed your emotions, who's let you down, or perhaps it's worse, just the shame that you let them down, that can be really tough. 
But it's something that God loves. Because whatever else this love letter is, and don't you wish if like Andy in the band's song, don't you wish sometimes God would send you an email or a text? You know that it was that specific. We have to work hard and pray hard about understanding what God wants to say to us sometimes through this word. If it was just an email, Lord, or a text. But let me tell you, this is better. This is a love letter from God. And God in this love letter not only wants us to be reconciled with him, he wants us to be reconciled with others. So this big idea of reconciliation, let me put it this way. Here's the first point. Christians are one family by God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love. And this is exactly the point that uh, Paul is trying to make to Philemon. He could use his apostolic authority. This is a, maybe an elder in a house church in Colossae, a, a church that meets in his home, and all the house churches might come together for the reading of, of the apostles' letters and the visits to the apostles and the prophets who were roaming the world at that time. He could have used that authority to say, just welcoming back. He could have even said, set him free. But he doesn't do that. He uses his charm, his grace, his winsomeness. He reminds Philemon of the fact that he led him to Christ. He reminds Philemon that he's his friend, that Philemon's been a blessing to Paul too. But he wants to make the point that Christians, whether slave or free, are one family by God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. Listen to verses 4 to 7. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. And I pray that you, Philemon, may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Just as an aside here, I'm sure if you were to talk to anyone who's been a small group leader in Alpha, they would tell you that it's a privilege to sit with a group as well as a challenge when people are challenging your faith and asking tough questions. But if you've ever been on a table in an alpha course as a small group leader after the meal, letting people just ask whatever they want to ask, say whatever they want to say. Boy, does your faith grow as you say, oh, that's a good question. I, I think I'll go and ask someone else about that. Or I'll come back to you on that next week. Oh, wow, I never thought about that. Your own faith deepens, and that is something that, that Paul knew was happening for Philemon. He goes on to say this, he says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Let's be clear about this. Philemon's a good guy. He's an elder in the church at Colossae, the church that meets in his home almost certainly. He's a great guy, but you've probably got a problem. How can he be a great guy if he's got slaves? Well, he's got one less slave at the moment because Onesimus has run off. Let me be really clear on an important tangent. The New Testament does not condone in any way, shape, or form slavery. But for years and years and years, it's kept coming back. And I, I'm, I'm sad to tell you, there are more slaves in the world now than there's ever been at any time. It's awful. Even in the UK, there are people in slavery. I hope you know that, and I hope we can pray against that. But what Paul does is he deconstructs the whole concept, and so does the Christian Scripture, so does the Bible, and so did people like William, For uh, William Wilberforce, 
the great uh, man who stood up against the transatlantic slave trade, when the word of God impacted him in his heart and he knew it was wrong. And Paul is making a key point here to Philemon. Look at verses 12 to 16. He says, I'm sending him, this is Onesimus, who is my very heart. So Paul has got close to this runaway slave. I'm sending him back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. So he's not parading his apostolic authority. So that any favor you do will be spontaneous and will not be forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back, welcome him back for good. Listen to this, folks. No longer as a slave, but better than the slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me and even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul's saying, I hope you'll, you'll do this spontaneous act of receiving him back. He's done the play on words, Onesimus, from the Greek. It means one who is useful. It means useful. And Paul's done a play on words that he became useless to you. But now when you welcome him back with open arms, not as a slave, but as a brother, wow, that's going to be some kind of reconciliation. No doubt it's not going to be easy because there needs to be forgiveness. If you're still thinking of the person that maybe you need to be reconciled to, maybe they need to forgive you or you need to forgive them or both. And this is a second point where to forgive and be reconciled in Christ. In verse 11, what Paul has said, formerly he, that's Onesimus, he was useless to you, but now he's become useful. There's the clever play on words. Both to, both to you and me. So he's implying, forgive him. And in verse 15 to 16, let's read it again. Verse 16, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, welcoming back as a dear brother. He's very dear to me and even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Do me a favor, look at the people around you. Go on, have a good look at them. They're very handsome, attractive people, intelligent looking. Some of them have got white skin. Some of them have got dark skin. Some of them are Asian. Some of them have got African uh, ancestry. Some of them are European. If they are like me, then they'll have a bit of Irish, a bit of Scottish, a bit of Italian, a bit of Jewish in their background. I'm a mongrel. I'm a League of Nations baby. I'm proud of it. When I went to Africa, oh, people love preaching in Nigeria. If you're doing well, they're shouting, Praise the Lord! If you're not doing so well, they go, Help him, Jesus. Help him, Jesus. But boy, did they respond to the Word of God. And at the end, on the final day of a week-long conference, when we'd been blessed by God in His mercy, I just said, you know, folks, I'm absolutely convinced, though it doesn't look like it, that, that there's a bit of Nigerian in this Yorkshireman from England. The fact is, we are one family of human beings. Let me tell you, with my biological hat on, when I was a scientific atheist at the age of 32, I taught biology and psychology. I can tell you I read a scientific American, worthy scientific journal article that proved without a shadow of a doubt that all human DNA could be traced back to one female source. Anyone want to tell me her name? Again? Eve. That's science. 
So we are a human family. But boy, do we need some reconciliation. And as you've looked at your brothers and sisters, they are, if they are Christians, your brothers and sisters in the Lord, they are at the very least your human family members. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Colossae in the epistle to the Colossians. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11. Just keep going backwards from Philemon through the pastoral epistles and you will find Colossians just before 1 Thessalonians. And in Colossians 3 and verse 11, this would have been read aloud to the Colossian church when they're all gathered, including the house church of um, Philemon. Paul writes this, Colossians 3, 11. Here, here where? Here in the church. Here in the family of God. Here in the kingdom of God. There is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Notice that, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. If the people you looked at sitting around you are Christians, they are a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus lives in them and the Spirit of Jesus lives in you. You are one. Every Christian, Christ is all and he's in every Christian. He's in all Christians. Paul drives the point home in Galatians. Go, go a little bit further back to Galatians, one of the very early epistles. And you'll hear the same apostle drive home the same point, Galatians 3, 26 to 28. Galatians 3, 26 to 28. Paul writes to these Christians in Galatea, he said, you are all sons, he could easily say daughters, of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Elsewhere he speaks about a dividing wall of hostility between Gentiles, between Greeks and between Jews. There's neither slave nor free. That verse alone would undermine any Christian God-fearing believer having slaves. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's within the church. Thank God. If there can't be reconciliation and unity and love in the church, we're really struggling. But, but what is our response? Let's cut to the chase. If the big idea is this beautiful concept of recon reconciliation, where we're reconciled to God first of all through Jesus who blasted the barrier of sin away by paying the price to his death on the cross, just in the way Paul says, I'm willing to write off the debt, charge it to me. I'll pick up Onesimus tab. Paul knew that's what Jesus did for me and for you, for Onesimus and for Philemon. But families need forgiveness. Church families, human families, the human family globally, our response is that we need not only to be reconciled, but we need to be reconcilers. We need to forgive others, and it's easier said than done. I know I stirred up earlier images of people that have wounded some of you deeply and hurt you deeply. Maybe it was so long ago, they're not even alive now. You can still release them. You can still forgive them if you can find it in your heart. Don't rush into that. 
Forgiveness is a powerful thing. It's an important thing. It can be a very difficult thing. We need God's grace. But look at what Paul says to Philemon in verses 17 to 21, back in our epistle. He says, if you consider me a partner, welcome him. Welcome, Onesimus, as you'd welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you'll do even more than I ask. He's asking him to forgive Onesimus. He's asking him to forgive as the Lord forgave him. You know the Lord's Prayer? It's recorded in Matthew 6. Let me just give you Matthew 6, verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's what Paul's getting at with Philemon. Yeah, he's let you down. Anesimus ran away. He's stolen from you. But don't welcome him back as a slave. Go further. Welcome him back as a brother. You've been separated. Have him back now. Being reconciled to others is absolutely vital. There are times when it's not possible or times when you do everything you can and they won't. There are times when you need help to even be willing and wanting to do that. But it's part of God's will in a sense, His general will. And you know there's something else, and this is the last point really this morning, but I want to unpack it well, is that we're not only called to be reconciled to the God who loves us, we're not only called to be reconciled to each other in the family of God and the church of God, We're called to be ministers of reconciliation. Ministers of reconciliation. And that's not just me. Ross and I have the title minister. Alan McCulloch has the title minister. But every man and woman that I'm looking at, if they know and love Jesus, you are... Minister just means servant. Servant of God. We are called to be ministers of reconciliation. Look at verse 24, because Paul names a few. He says... uh, He sends his greetings, as does Epaphras, but he says, so does Mark. You know Mark he fell out with? Did you know that? Mark had a, he let Paul down, and and Paul had a a Barney with Barnabas, if you forgive the pun. He had a Barney Barney with Barnabas, he had a bust up with Barnabas, but they were reconciled, and so was Paul with Mark. At the end of his life, when he's in a dungeon waiting to be beheaded, he says and writes, send Mark to me because he's dear to me. He's been reconciled. Mark's there. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, who wrote Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts, his fellow workers, he says, these are ministers of reconciliation, but so are you, brothers and sisters, if you want to be. And Paul's appeal, listen to Paul's appeal in verse 14. He makes it quite clear. He says, I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. He makes his appeal for reconciliation. I make my appeal that you will be ministers, men and women, who who bring reconciliation. Let's just go to the final scripture. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. I think you'll see what I'm getting at. This is the same apostle writing now to Christians in Corinth. 
And he says this. We'll go from verse 14 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. For Christ's love compels us. The same love that was now compelling Paul to write to Philemon. Here, when he's writing to the Corinthians, he says, For Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one, this is Jesus, died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Are we living for Jesus? Are we whole life disciples living for him on our front lines? Verse 16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. If he was writing to Philemon, he might say, don't regard uh, Onesimus from a worldly point of view. Yeah, I know you are rightfully his master. You could have him crucified. You could have him killed because he's a runaway slave. I know that's your right. But don't look at him from a worldly point of view. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Someone needs to hear that this morning. Stop beating yourself up for your past. Stop feeling that you're a failure. Stop feeling that you blew it and you can never be forgiven. You are a new creation in Christ if you're a Christian. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God. Listen, here's the word. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. But don't stop there because he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Can I just pause there? I don't know what you think about the appointment of Boris Johnson as our foreign secretary. You don't know whether to laugh, shake your head, cheer, or whatever. Let me stagger you. When I was shown, I think at our small group leaders' breakfast yesterday on someone's mobile phone, I think it was, um, they showed me a map of the world. And all the countries that were offended by Boris Johnson were coloured in red. There was a lot of red on the map of the world, I can tell you. But you know what? It might just work. It might just work. The Australian coach who took over the England rugby team appointed the hooker as captain the hooker with the worst disciplinary record for being sent off and sin-binned of almost anyone else in the squad and known for it all over the media for years, Dylan Hartley. Since he was appointed, he's had a clean sheet and actually what Dylan Hartley has done is captained England to 10 straight wins including the Six Nations and three away wins against Australia in Australia. Now for those of you who just switched off, here's the point. Boris Johnson might just surprise us. And you can come back and say, boy, did you get that one wrong, Clive. <laughs> but pray for him. Because now he's got this ministry of being kind of ambassadorial. He's got to be the ambassador to every nation. He's the foreign secretary. He and maybe those nations need our prayers. But let's be praying for all those in authority. Because we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Paul is practicing what he preaches. So how do you feel about the guy who drives a truck into a crowd 
and not only machine guns and shoots people as he runs other people over, weaving through the crowd as French people and people from many nations celebrate Bastille Day. They're having a great time. Sheila's already led us in prayers. How do you feel about him? When he does that, how do you feel about the other perpetrators of terrorism that, that are, are wreaking this havoc? I, I'm sure like me, you feel furious, you feel angry. Maybe the rugby player in me would just like 10 minutes with him, but that's the carnal part of me. Because do you know what my saviour, my rabbi, my Lord tells me? He says this, pray for your enemies. That doesn't mean we don't defend ourselves. It doesn't mean we don't hunt out that kind of evil. But the world today desperately needs reconciliation. When you see a police officer, two police officers, and I saw it, holding down a black man and shooting him five times while he's restrained. And then when you see a black man who's trained by his country as a sniper take a position and kill five white police officers. Hatred spirals downward. Love and peace and reconciliation from God spirals upward. The world today desperately needs reconciliation. needs changed hearts and changed lives so that changed people can change this world. And families need reconciliation. I'm a pastor, trust me. Even in the church, families need reconciliation. And people need to be reconciled to God. I'm going to finish with a story and an epilogue. This is going to date me, but many of you who are much younger than me have also seen the very old Hollywood movie, Spartacus. Who's seen it? Spartacus. Loads of people. Ask others if you haven't seen it. It's an old movie now, but there's a classic scene at the end where uh, a Hollywood movie depicts a history a historical truth, there was an uprising in the Roman world of slaves trying to stand up for their freedom against slavery and they rose up against the might of Rome and of course they were crushed and at the end in the movie at least there's a scene and the guy says, I'm going to have you all crucified. That's your just deserves. You've risen up against Rome. I will spare you crucifixion if you will give me Spartacus. And the hero of the movie, Spartacus, the slave that has set himself free and wanted freedom for every other slave, he stands up and he says, I'm Spartacus. And then another guy stands up and says, no, I'm Spartacus. And then another, and another, another. Do you remember it? And they're all crucified on the way into Rome because they'd rather lay down their life than betray the person that they loved. Well, I want to tell you something. I'm Spartacus because I spent 32 years running away from God. 32 years being a scientific atheist. 32 years arrogantly thinking there is no God. I do not believe in God. I don't want to know anything about this Jesus. Though in some place from being a little boy, I was fascinated by him. And at the age of 32, I was reconciled to my heavenly Father through Jesus who paid the greatest price to set me free. I am Spartacus. And you know what? So are you. We were all slaves, but we're all set free. And here's the epilogue to finish. The great, late Scottish scholar, Willie Barclay, William Barclay, has given me this epilogue. I credit him with it. 
that he in his archaeological historical research, this great scholar, discovers letters of Ignatius. Ignatius was a great early church father. Ignatius was a martyr. He is on his way from Antioch, Rome, to face his death as a martyr. And while he's on the way, wherever he gets chance, like a great man of God, he's writing letters to encourage other Christians. And he writes to the Christians in Ephesus, and he says much about their bishop and what a wonderful man of God their bishop is. And guess who their bishop is? <laughs> Not Philemon, Onesimus. So the next time you look at someone who's addicted to alcohol and can't break free, the next time you look at someone who's riddled with drugs and is looking for a way out, the next time you see someone homeless on the street, the next time you see someone at work who's got all the wealth and the material things they need, but they're empty in their heart, you might be looking at a future bishop. Because Anisimus, who was useless, became useful. And if it's the same person, and I can't, and Barclay can't prove it, he became one of the, one of the greatest bishops of the early church. Let's go and be ministers of reconciliation. Let's go and be reconciled, because that's the big idea. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for all of my brothers and sisters here, and maybe those who are not yet brothers and sisters. Lord, bring them into your family, please. But I thank you for those who have gone to Africa to be ministers of reconciliation. Those who have given people trades and skills. I thank you for those who will go to Mexico to build homes for homeless people. I thank you for those who have been to Nepal. I thank you for those who go out on the streets as street pastors. I thank you for those who work with families and those who work in recovery. But Lord, whether we do it in that formal sense, or just right where we are, every single one of us is called to be reconciled to you, Father, to be reconciled to others, but to exercise this ministry of reconciliation. Lord, please help us to that end. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.